Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast, where we dive deep into the heart of innovation, leadership, and transformative ideas shaping the future of education and technology. Each episode is a journey into the minds of visionary educators, thinkers, and leaders who are not just talking about change, they're living it. Real people leading real change. This is where passion meets practice and ideas come to life. Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast. I am so excited to welcome our first international guest, Claire Welsh, to the podcast this week. Claire is a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist and mindset coach. She was a primary school teacher for 20 years, both in the UK and abroad. While teaching in the Middle East, Claire was asked to take on an additional role supporting newly qualified teachers. Although this was a hugely rewarding process, trying to juggle the two roles and deal with various challenges in her family life and health care led to Claire beginning to feel the dreaded symptoms of teacher burnout. So she left the teaching profession in 2020 to start her therapy training. Claire initially enjoyed using all of her new therapy skills on herself, which was a hugely positive life-changing experience, and she wished she had known about these skills 20 years beforehand. Claire now specializes in helping educators and ex-educators deal with anxiety, burnout, low confidence, and lack of self-belief, such as imposter syndrome. Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast, Claire. Dave, lovely, really lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting uh, me. Oh, it is my pleasure. So, Claire, could you share a bit about your journey and what led you to specialize in helping educators with challenges like anxiety and burnout? I know I talked a little bit about that, but can you maybe go a little bit deeper? Yes, yeah. Well, um, it's really strange, Dave, because as I was teaching and I, I taught for 20 years, so um, I don't know about you, but my family were in education. So my dad was, started out as a youth teacher. My mom was a teacher. And so education was always there in the back of my mind. I thought that something that I might want to do. But I did see the other side of it. <laughs> so I did have a good idea about what I'd be getting myself into, you know, seeing my mom marking late at night and all that sort of thing. Um, so uh, I think that was that was good, actually, when I went into ed education, that I had quite a rational mind about mindset, about what it was going to be like. And I thought I could be good at it. And um, interestingly enough, I ended up working with the younger children, but actually didn't intend on doing that because in my teaching practices, I could see that that was probably going to be a difficult age group, especially if you think of children starting school. And then not only are they new to school, but you've got the new parents as well. So it's almost like you've got like two, two classes to deal with. Of course. So I thought, um, and my mum used to say to me, don't, don't teach them, teach year three. Like, you know, the seven, eight-year-olds, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, it's, it's going to be much easier. Um, but actually, uh, circumstances led that I was offered a role in early years. And um, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the freedom of the curriculum. But I didn't feel confident because I'd never been aiming to teach that age group. So I ended up in my third year um, doing an MA in early years. And then I found so much more about it. Absolutely loved it. And that really helped my teaching journey and be very, very passionate about early years and about early years children and what they can do. Um, and then, um, so I was very lucky. I had a head teacher when I first started out on teaching day who was very much um, supportive. Um, we had an inspection of our school in the first year that we were there. But back then we had 
from my perspective, much more supportive inspections. We felt like the inspectors wanted you to do well. And it was the same with the head teacher. So I did feel that I was encouraged to take risks, you know, um, uh, uh, try new things. And there was going to be no awful consequences if I made a mistake. So I think that's really important that that's how I started out in education in the same way that when children start, you want to give them a really good start because um, I didn't have a fear that if I made a mistake in the classroom, that something awful was going to happen. And so that carried on for quite a while. And then when I did the MA, I was supported in that learned load. But I've always seen myself as a learner and I was okay with that until it did come a point in my teaching life where I did was in a different school and had a different leadership team and didn't have this supportive atmosphere, unfortunately. And it did have a, a really devastating effect on um, everybody in the school um, in the end. And I felt the first time I started to question my own teaching ability because of this um, attitude, much more scrutiny, and I didn't feel trusted. Um, and for the first time in my life, I started to think, oh, maybe I'm not a good teacher. And I think that we've all got our own little insecurities, haven't we? I'm not blaming teaching or the system or anything. But we've all got our own little insecurities. And I think that it can be in any work environment, um, depending on what it's like, um, you know, your insecurities can come bubbling up. And I think that's what the start of certainly imposter syndrome, that's sort of uh, where I started to um, just have some real self-doubts there. Actually, was I a good teacher? And then I start, that started whirring away in my mind. Um, and... Um, it, this could be a case of some teachers where it gets so bad they go off sick, you know, and and, um, and, and chronic stress, which we're going to talk about later, that could be very debilitating. But um, what had happened in my mum's life was, and other people I knew that they'd gone to teach abroad and gone to teach in the Middle East. And sometimes, and I do find this uh, in life, is that sometimes you have to have a big challenge in your life in order for you to move. Or make make a change. Your life has to get quite uncomfortable Absolutely. for you to make a change. And the thing was, in my mind, Dave, I'd been thinking, oh, maybe I would like to teach in the Middle East, um, but had a bit of a lack of confidence, or I just wasn't quite sure if I was. I was waiting for feeling ready. You see, and I, I realised that don't do that. Don't put whether you feel ready. Just just go for it. Um, so I got yeah, I got so fed up. Dave, that it's sort of like, do you know what? I could do two years anyway. I just, I need to leave this situation. So that's another thing that I've learned is there's always a silver lining in any situation that you're in, um, especially the, uh, the ones in my life where I think I was perhaps labeling it as a bad situation. Actually, it turned out there was a really good silver lining. And when I went to the Middle East, it was hugely exciting. Um, and as you said in my bio, after, I just wanted to be left alone. I said, just let me teach. Don't give me any sort of like uh, management or anything like that. Just, just let me teach. But um, they like it when you've got experience. Uh, you know, the British curriculum is really respected, more respected, I feel, actually, in other, other places. So I took on this extra role. It became huge. I, was, I worked in one of the biggest primary schools in the world. And so uh, I always wanted to always have taught, Dave. I've always, always taught. I've never wanted to not teach. So I started on taking on too much, really, and then started, this is classic imposter syndrome, started comparing myself with other managers and, and what they were doing when I had a, like a manager type role as well. And um, mm -hmm. so this chronic stress built up over the years 
and to the point where it was um, December 2019. And like you said, there'd been some family issues, issues with my parents' health. I'm an only child. And all my holidays were spent trying to take care of them. And I think this is another thing in teaching is if you give everything to teaching, then when things happen outside in your personal life, sometimes you've got nothing left to give. And this is what happened to me. Um, and I so remember coming back to, um, to school to work in, in um, September 2019. And I woke up one morning and this voice in my head said, you're done. It was the strangest thing because wow. I've worked all my life and it terrified me. And it was like, from then onwards, it was like this slow draining of energy. And it was like, my brain was still saying, go to work, set up your classroom, all these things, do the things you normally do. But the will and the desire that I had, I, it just started to leave me and it just became worse and worse and worse. It was just like, you know, walking through treacle. And. In this position, I did what a lot of teachers try to do. So I tried to demote myself. I tried to, you know, do things about it. Leaving teaching was not on the agenda for me at all. Yeah. I absolutely wanted to stay where I was. And I was quite inflexible about that, actually. And that's another thing that I help people with. Um, and then I would have stayed. I would have kept going and kept going. And then in the December, um, I had a cancer diagnosis. And um, I'm perfectly healthy now, but um, that Man. that brought me up short. That really did. then I saw and I started. Yeah, then I thought, oh, there's no cancer in our family, and I sort of knew a lot about health as well. I was a healthy person, you know, like you, I was a bit more of a yoga girl back then, and um, you know, had a healthy diet. I dealt with migraines, and um, and I I done things with my diet, and I was very aware of my health. But this voice said to me, yeah, but what about all this stress? So I sort of did know immediately that probably stress had something to do with um, my health. And um, initially, I thought that maybe I would end up tutoring or do something like that. So like a lot of teachers, I, I didn't think about doing something completely different. Um, I, I managed to give my notice in in times by the January 2020 I had an amazing line manager who was really supportive because when you work abroad, you have to give quite long notices when you're going to, um, if you're not going to come back the next year. But I just, I just thought there in time, managed to give my notice in and thought, um, I know what I'll do. I'll just do tutoring. I'll, I'm going to travel and tutor and travel around because I did lots of traveling being, you know, being the Middle East, you do lots of um, visiting different countries. Of course, that was COVID year for this day. So that... <laughs> Put a little wrench in the plan. It did put a little wrench in the plan. But you see, again, you see, there's another thing I've learned when a door closes. And then finally, this little voice, actually, that in the back of my mind had been saying to me, because I didn't go into teaching straight away. I went later on in life when I was in my late 20s. And this little voice went, what about, um, what about therapists? And I'd had this little thought. Um, I don't know whether you've ever, and you can maybe you can tell people if you ever thought uh, about what you were going to do. But um, teaching wasn't my first uh, career. Actually, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but so therapist um, made complete sense because I was looking into how to help myself. And then just came across my therapy training. And it wasn't just hypnotherapy. There's a, a, a CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist aspect to it. There's mindfulness, there's breath work. It was a whole am amalgamation of amazing techniques and everything that I was learning. So I was doing this online. Um, 
And because of the time difference, I was able to attend lots of live sessions and work with other students. And there was another head teacher on my course. She was in Scotland and she was doing the course at the same time. We had psychotherapists on there. We had psychologists on there. It was, yeah, it was an amazing course. I learned so much and of course applied everything to myself. All the stress reduction stuff I was trialing on myself. And then we went back into the classroom. Other teachers started asking me, well, what are you doing? And so uh, I started saying, oh, this is really working for me. Do you want to try this? So I was trying think things with teachers and they become my, my case studies. So in a way, it sort of, it was quite a natural progression um, into where I am now because I started working with teachers then, testing it out. And then those initial case studies, they all came back and wanted me to be their clients. So um, it's been a really organic process. And yeah, it's just... I just want to say to anybody out there, if you're going through a tough time, there will be a silver lining there. You've just got to look for it. Just be patient and look for it. So, um, yeah. And that's here where I am now, three years on. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that background because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people that are listening. Uh, one thing that I picked out of there was the environments, the work environments that you were in. The one was very supportive, the one not as mm. much. So. My question is, what role do you believe educational institutions should play in supporting the mental health and well-being of their staff? Yeah, um, it's, it's hugely important. When I was doing um, research for the program that I run now with teachers that I help teachers, I looked into research into imposter syndrome. I looked into research around burnout. And there's, you know, there's lots of studies to do with burnout, you know, um, saying that the work environment is hugely, hugely, um, is going to, can, can be really affected. You're going to have burnout or not. And what you tend to get is if, if you've got this shame and blame type culture in a school, if you've got a lot of that going on and, um, so lots of teachers I talk to, so I'm not going to say, um, that the whole of the UK is like that at all. But I think this, um, what seems to have happened is that there is more and more this environment of scrutinizing, teachers don't feel trusted, um, and this eats away at their self-confidence. And there's sometimes in some stores, there's a bit of a them enough situation with the leadership and, and with teachers themselves. So, um, and, and when I started um, working with teachers and then you start to get referred and then I was on Instagram and started to grow on Instagram and then it was when somebody contacted me who was a school governor and said, oh, have you got any ideas for little tips for, for teachers in the school? And all the head teachers I've spoken to so far, and I'm not blaming anybody at all, but... Um, and I didn't know a lot of these very, very easy, simple stress reduction techniques that I know now. I didn't know them. A lot of them, are, it's not rocket science, but it can make such a huge difference. And, I'm sure. um, you know, if you're on a plane, Dave, and what do they say? If the plane's going down, what do they say? Even if you've got a child there, you put your own oxygen mask on. But oxygen, yeah. And it Correct. feels wrong, doesn't it? You're like, no, no, you would help the child, wouldn't you? Before yeah. yourself, that's selfish if you do that. But this is what they wow, say. That's a great the analogy there. They're very clear. And I just do feel that's the missing link a lot of the time in, in education and the system. And there's a lot of heads out there really trying their best. And I know because I work with some of them, they're trying to do their best, their very, very best. But it can be very, very tricky um, to do that. I'm working with a couple of primary schools and I, I, I did um, 
a little workshop with them yesterday on positive visualization. I don't know what you've got in America, but we've got something in the UK called well-being leads now. So uh, within the school, yeah. But it, it well, we have it social workers, a... school counselors. But oh, no, it's this more works, for this the works... students. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So we're just starting to cotton on, and this will be like this very, very usual in UK schools that you are a teacher and you've got all these other little hats you have to wear. So the well, the well-being lead I'm working same in the United with States is also full-time working. Yeah. So um, that was the thing about the Middle East. You did get paid for all, you worked really hard, but certainly in my school, you got, you got paid for all the extras, which was very, uh, that, that really eased your pain. Um, so yeah, I think that um, there are some teachers out there and these wellbeing leads, especially that are doing some really good work. She realizes just how important this is. And, um, but I just think that unless you've got, it needs to come from the top, from, from, if, you know, from the head teachers and needs to be, it's just so simple. If you, there's little things that you just do every day, and we can talk about that later, that over time can start to make a difference. And I don't know what, what's happened in, in America, but what's happened since I've been away is that there has been a lot of money, and this is what had teachers say, there's been a lot of money put into supporting children's mental health, especially because of COVID, and we're really noticing the difference, you know, what's, what's happening with sure. children. And, and yeah. So they're really seeing that and they're really seeing that um, children are having a lot more difficulty experience, teachers are saying, than what they used to have. But um, I do feel that um, there are just these extra things, like it's, it's got to be more than, it's not just about whether your workload is, is excessive workload load or not. It's, not. it's not just about the things that actually happen in school. It's about teachers' whole life. And, and, and I do feel that some teachers... Well, a lot of teachers that I've talked to, their whole identity is connected and core tied up with who they are as a teacher and how well they're doing as a teacher. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's what happened with me. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it can, and it, you know, again, this can be then, you, you know, it starts to affect your nervous system. Then you get the stress response, you get this adrenaline and cortisol dump in the body. And if it goes on and on and on and you don't know how to switch this stress off. Um, this is where the dangers are um, to do with your health. Um, and, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but we do have, and, and this has been going on for a long time, we have got a retention issue with, in teaching. Um, is it the same in America? Same in the United States. Yep. Yeah. Same in the United States. We also have, sub have difficulty at times finding substitutes as well. Yes, yes. Yes, same here, because I work with teachers who are transitioning out. So it's really interesting hearing um, what people are saying about moving into supply, moving into tutoring. That's what a lot of teachers, when they leave, that's what they tend to do, is they will get still teacher-type roles. Mm. I think that's so interesting that you, you, know, you make that mention that so many times we link our identity to teaching, uh, to what we do in education. And it seems like from what you're saying is it's extremely critical to not do that, to make sure that you are balancing your whole person, you know, who you are. But like, my question is this, what are, let's say you're that educator and you begin to start feeling overwhelmed. What are some first steps you could recommend to someone who's starting to feel overwhelmed in their role? Um, yeah. And I think that definitely does tie in with the teacher identity. So just have a little check on, have a look at, what does your daily life look like? What does your weekly life look like? You know, 
um, the teachers that I speak to um, who have been in the profession a long time, and when I'm chatting to them, they say, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm still fine. I'm still okay in the profession. And there are um, some things that are always in common with what they tell me. And what they tell me is that they have a very, um, <laughs> they have a cutoff with home and school. That's the first thing that I think you need to check on that. And the teachers that are overwhelmed when I say things, what's happening in your day is that they are staying late at school and then they're coming home and they're still working. Um, because what happened with me is once you start having these feelings of I'm not good enough and, um, and never being satisfied with what you do, this becomes this sort of vicious cycle. And a lot of teachers, they, they get home and they, they just have this horrible sort of feeling of, I should be doing something. I should be doing something, you know, and they find it really difficult to switch that off. So you, mm -hmm. it's absolutely vital that you have this cutoff time and so that your home life and your school life, um, that there is some space for you in your mind, in your body, and to, with, for your family as well, because a lot of teachers then, the parent teachers, then then have this guilt because they often feel like their own children oh, yeah. are coming last. <laughs> so this is another thing to sure. another stick to beat yourself with. So I think that's the other thing as well is I work with teachers on on my on their mindset. Of what are they feeling overwhelmed about? And and have they got any sort of identity outside of teaching? Because your mind needs a break. Your mind definitely needs a break. So. Can you suggest ways in which educators can support each other within their communities? Because, of course, this yeah. is not just isolated. This isn't isolated. Yeah, sure. There's so many. So what do you suggest? Um, yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I was talking to uh, a teacher that I'm working with the other day. And um, and I think that. Um, because there isn't this awareness going on of just how detrimental it can be to not switch off from school. So she was, we're, we're doing exactly this. We're talking about how can you leave at a reasonable time? And, and when we were talking about why she wasn't leaving, it was because another teacher who she gets on very well with, he was sort of hanging around after school. Someone else was there, you know, sort of chatting and what have you. So I think that, um, and certainly in my experience, it became a bit like, I wouldn't say competition, but I think that um, it can be in schools that people are sort of looking around and thinking, oh, I, I need to do what she doing. Oh, I need to do, you know, oh, oh gosh, look at her classroom. You know, and, and, and my experience was that the teachers didn't say to each other, come on, we need to go home. This is, come on you, let's, let's go home. Um, let's, you know, we need, we need to look after our, our, each other on our own mental health. Though I don't know what it's like in the community where you are, but... It never seemed to carry on. There seemed to be a lot of teachers worrying um, about what their own practice and what their own classrooms looked like. So I think teachers supporting the, each other, like, come on, like we need to, like on a Friday, we need to go home at this and supporting each other to leave school. But also as well, when you're outside of school, it's not to keep talking about it. <laughs> and I know that's hard. It's quite a difficult task, but I can understand why you would want to not, to not talk about it. Wow. So you talked about that, about educators supporting educators. But my question is, as a school leader, what advice would you give to a school leader uh, for how they can best support their staff? What environment do they need to be cognizant of? What can they do to make that environment where staff don't feel so stressed? Um, well, I think what I touched upon earlier is is definitely to do with uh 
you know, making sure you haven't got a shame and blame culture going on in your, in your school. Um, and to talk very openly about expectations and the thing with teachers is that they, they can get these very unrealistic expectations going on in their mind. Um, there's a term I learned in my therapy training and, and it's, I'm going to spell it first and then I'm going to say it, Dave, so you don't, people don't hear it wrong. So it's, <laughs> it starts off with M-U-S-T. Okay. So I'm going to finish the word, but remember it's M-U-S-T. The term is masturbation. Masturbation. Have you heard of that? I have not. Um, it was a, it's a great psychologist, Albert Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's, um, I think it's this understanding from leadership that, that, that teachers often, they have these things going on in their mind. They want to please, they want to do well, they want to do their best for you. But as soon as you start inserting the word must, have to, ought to, do you see? Like, so I must do well. I must do the best lesson. I have to be the best teacher. And a lot of teachers have this, these inflexible, very um, inflammatory words in, their, in a sentence. And if you can just, talking to teachers and talking about expectations and making sure that you are aware of um, what teachers are thinking about and what their expectations are and how they feel about what they're doing in school because a simple another and this is another simple tip is that if you start to become aware of what your thoughts are and I work a lot with teachers on on limiting mindsets as you know I have to be the best I've got documents and things and all up this will come a tip is if you swap these very inflexible words for things like I would like to, I wish to, I aim to. So I would like to do a really good lesson. I'm aiming to be a really good teacher. You know, if you start to dial down, you're dialing down the stress in your mind. So um, having dialogue with, um, with your teachers and talking very openly about your expectations and saying, look, you know, if you muck up, it's fine. I'm going to be there for you. I've got your back. But also, like I've said, if you can also have a culture of making sure that teachers do have a home life balance, so making sure they do go home and, you know, not emailing them at home, that sort of thing, letting them have a life. Um, I understand. I can't just say, oh, just reduce all the workload, don't, you know, make small class sizes, things like that. You know, I understand that that's not possible. But um, there are things definitely to make that uh, designation between um, home and school. And making life in school less less stressful, so teachers aren't so frightened about making mistakes. I think that's maybe a couple of things that might make sense. I think that makes perfect sense. And what I got from what you said was the the thing that popped out right to me was growth mindset. You know, yeah. so many times they, I have a student that says, "You know, I'm not good at math." Whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, and I think that we can oftentimes, especially as teachers, educators. We oftentimes, we be so self-critical. We want to do our mm. best, but we oftentimes find our imperfections before we find the things that we're actually doing really well. We focus in on them. And I think it can't be, you must, you must. And, and I really thank you for sharing that because I think that is one of the things that I see just in American education is that it is this, you know, we tell our students to have a growth mindset, to not be mm. so harsh on themselves. but we need to really do the same things ourselves, correct? Yeah. No, I love that. I absolutely love that. And uh, one of the big proponents of that is, of course, is uh, Dr. Carol Dweck. You know, I love her work. Dweck, I yeah. love to work in education, you know. So I think exactly that, you know, not was it about, you know, uh, uh, putting your oxygen, own oxygen mask on first. 
I think that's the thing is how can we support teachers to do this? And I just give those little extras. Um, a lot of the things that I'm working with teachers at the moment is on their morning routines. And I think that starting the day, um, like a very simple tip is uh, a lot of teachers, well, you might have, um, you might start off your morning like a false start, I call it, like three o'clock in the morning, you know, wake up all that and then <laughs> all the horrors of this. Um, there's something called a negativity bias. Have you heard of negativity bias, Dave? <laughs> so to keep us safe, this sort of um, us noticing danger, us noticing negative things, that's all developed as a survival mechanism. But if yes. you're not uh, aware of this, you know, there's like this magic ratio, I think, like five to one. Um, and uh, I was sharing lots of really funny things yesterday that I found when I was researching. And they did this one study where they were looking at couples and they were looking at um, the couples that were uh, least likely to, to divorce would have um, five more positive interactions than negative. You, you know, it's this magic ratio of five to one. And I think that like you're saying with the children, we're always very aware of you say something negative, make sure you say lots of positive things as well. But I think it's the same thing for teachers in, in that profession as well. I think you need Agreed. to be very aware that that's happening with, you know, not just leadership, but, you know, like, w w you know, with each other. And I think once you're aware of this, there's something that you have to do actively. It doesn't come naturally. It comes more naturally to focus on the negatives. So you get home, how was your day? And your mind is probably going to drift to that that one awful thing that happened and you scared about all the great other things that happened. And cause I now know about this and I wish I'd known Very about true. this because I thought I was a really positive person and people thought I was, but in my mind, I thought, God, what on earth's happening? And I think that once you understand that it isn't that you're a negative person and this is normal for you to drift into this or maybe focusing on the negative, but you, it has to be active. So when you wake up in the morning, if you just, as you're just waking up and the brain is nice and suggestible, if you just visualize and run through your day and just see it working the way that you want to, you're priming your brain to have a good day. And it's a, it's a very, very simple technique, even, you know, like one minute or less. Everybody, I suggest to everybody one minute or less, because there's so much um, research. I mean, uh, um, athletes use it. They've done all sorts of, like uh, the, in, in the 1970s Olympics, there was a trainer there. And he was measuring the downhill skiers. And there was very sim similar things happening in their brain and to do with their muscles when they were imagining themselves doing the skiing and doing all the jumps. Um, well, there's been, yeah. Self-visualization. Yeah, just through, because we all have these images, you know, flashing up all the time, all the time. And it's a case of harnessing what's happening in here. Um, even there was a, a couple of interesting ones. Uh, there was French long jumpers as well. There were studies in that. But even um, in like weight training, and they had people visualizing they were flexing their muscles and getting stronger and all of that. And then and then and there was a growth. They noticed they noticed their muscles were reacting. So th there's uh, an amazing opportunity there with very very simple technique. Very you know that simple visualizing your day going well. Um, with me, uh, I started, I, I was visualizing myself completely healthy for one minute. That's how I started with it. That's how, and it lifted my mood. And then the more I was doing this positive visualization, the more I found I got to school and it was just rippling out. I found myself becoming more positive. So school wasn't changing. I was changing. Do you see, that's the thing is you change yeah, you. Yeah, it's huge. Look to change you. Thank you for sharing very practical practical um suggestions because i think 
I think a lot of times we can, you know, I think a lot of times we hear in the news and stuff, the importance of this, but a lot of times we don't know what to do, what steps to actually take. And so I know you've worked with a lot of clients. Can you share, is there one success story maybe that you have that you're especially proud of uh, and where you helped an educator overcome a significant challenge? Could you share? Um, Yeah, I think one of the ones that always stands out to me, and I tell this to prospective clients because it happened with a case study. And this is how I came across the term imposter syndrome because I hadn't heard of it before. So um, I was, uh, yeah, so I was doing my training and then... um, so somebody um, in my establishment came in and w- was really upset and um, basically had convinced themselves that they were going to be fired, um, had told anybody about it. You would not have known this person was in this amount of, uh, was feeling this way. Um, but it's like a lot of things. If you don't tell anybody, then you can start to get more and more, more stress. And then, and, and, and then you start to think anything that's said, you know, that, oh, was that, did they really mean that? You know, and it got to the stage where yeah. this person had actually, um, booked plane tickets. They were so convinced that they were going to be um, fired and started talking about imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud in their position. They'd been promoted and really didn't feel like they deserved it, even though they'd been doing a lot of work. And so um, I I immediately started doing some techniques. We talked through this catastrophizing that can happen. So we walked through, talked through, what is worst case scenario? Because a lot of the time you don't want to face your fears, but you must, you must. And actually, when we talked about this, okay, so what if you were, what would you do? And actually this whole exit plan came out. She'd actually thought about what she could do. And just telling somebody, actually, it started to calm her down. Then we started talking about, well, what's probably the realistic scenario here? And then we talked through, yeah, but what if, what what if something great could happen? What if the opposite could happen? So this simple rationalizing technique that I did with her, um, she, you know, tears are dried. Oh gosh, I, I feel, you know, immediately, you know, so much better. Um, it was, that's when I thought, oh, there's something to this. And she, she wasn't fired and she is still in teaching. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. But again, Sorry, that, we talk about say. that. No, about that self-visualization. Like, you know, I think that's, that's jumping out at me too, just through our conversation is, is sometimes I think we're believing a false narrative. Sometimes we have to visualize yeah. what we can do. What is possible? Yes. Yes. So Claire, I have two more questions for you. Two more questions. So first of all, how can people find out more about what you do or reach out to you if they are interested in your services? Um, I'm, um, I'm on all social media platforms as in Facebook and LinkedIn, but mainly I'm on Instagram. I love Instagram and um, I love it because of the story. So I can share lots of information and on, you know, on the spot things. So yeah, Instagram, selfie with Claire. Um, if you, you can find me on there and, um, you know, I'm a very approachable, I'm very friendly. Um, I have a wonderful program called the self-belief shift. Um, that's my main program that I work with teachers on that, but I am flexible. I'm adaptable. Everybody, everything's personalized and you could be an educator or you could be an ex-educator or you could be in a transitioning, um, uh, transitioning out or, or maybe going in. Um, so that's, that's the main, main, I would say the Instagram and then just send me a message and, um, I will, we can have a free chat, free 20, 20 minute chat, won't charge for that, just to see what's happening with you and see if I can su- suggest anything. I always very happy. Um, I've got a business coach who was very cross with me cause she said, you do too much free stuff, but I believe that I was, I really believe in giving back and I'm very, very happy to do that. That's wonderful. 
And Claire, what's next for your work in supporting educators? Are there any projects or initiatives you're, you're working on or you're particularly excited about? Um, I am really excited that I'm starting to work with schools, I have to say. Um, and uh, that's really interesting because um, I actually, I love my one-to-ones. I really do. I, I love this sort of intimate conversations. I love that you can get the feedback straight away. So it feels safer for me. But also my mission is that I want to help as many teachers as I can. I just want to give them the insights and give them, them the awareness. Um, you know, like I wish somebody had, had, had said to me. So actually I do understand that working with more schools is, is something that I need to do. So expanding that, but as well as just working, just working with more teachers really, um, and more schools. Yeah. Outstanding. Claire, I want to thank you so much for coming on today, coming out to the podcast, sharing some real practical strategies for our educators. You have just been an invaluable resource, and I just want to thank you again. So, all right, everyone, until we meet again, stay inspired, stay positive, and have the best day ever. 